Open your Bibles to where Paul was reading John 20. I've entitled the message this morning, The Order of the Resurrection. Um, before I read my text, I'm gonna, I, I get uh, reminiscent when it comes to Easter Sunday. And I'm going back now some 48 years to my first Easter as a born-again Christian. Raised up in, in the church, but really... Uh, didn't know the Lord, sort of a religious obligation. And when I met Jesus, uh, my life radically changed. And I couldn't wait for my first Easter. I thought, this is going to be great to have my, see the difference, what it means to me. And so what I thought I would do, I was living in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, is I got up early in the morning and I made way, my way down to um, Menominee Park, beautiful stretch from um, that looks towards the east, watching the sunrise, um, caught up in the moment, wondering if um, anything different would happen, being my first Easter. I was very, very excited about the whole thing. So as I'm just fellowshipping with the Lord and talking, I thought, this is my first Easter. I wonder if anything will be different about it. And all of a sudden, I heard angels beginning to sing. And I couldn't believe it. I said, this is what it's like being born again on your first Easter. The Lord does something special, and he allows you to hear angels singing. And the singing got louder and louder, and as I was looking towards Lake Winnebago, I realized the sound was coming from behind me, so I turned around and looked, and it wasn't angels at all. It was the First Baptist Church having a sunrise service. <laughs> I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. But um, I can't do an Easter without going back and remembering. For those, some of you watching live stream, this is, this is your first Easter. Some of you watching this morning, this is going to be your last Easter. And I, I don't know where the last 48 years went. It's, it's like a vapor, and it just goes that quick. And that's exactly what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that our life is a vapor, or like a flower. It's here, and then it's gone, and it's very, very brief. So hi from um, Israel, from our good friends of, and let's go to our text this morning. I've again entitled this, The Order of the Resurrection, I'm going to cover the time frame when we were here three days ago for Good Friday to Easter uh, morning, and then we'll talk about the events and the order of those events, first of all in the morning, then what happened in the afternoon, and then what happened in the evening. And um, I'm sort of excited about this one. I've I've seen some things that I'd never uh, uh, seen before, so um, some of this is going to be fresh for me too. John 20, verses 1 to 10. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. We make reference to the fact that they tell us it's still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved. Of course, John is referring to himself here. And he said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I should make mention that John is the only one that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, that he was the one who beat Peter to the tomb. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't, don't mention it. John does. And he, stooping down, looked in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now we were just here, oh, just a couple days ago on Friday. And between the cross, what we call Good Friday, and the resurrection, we know through the scriptures that there was a period of three days and three nights. And if you're taking notes, we find that recorded in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For it says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I want to make a point of the location here, the heart of the earth. And our Good Friday service, as we went through the seven statements that Jesus spoke from the cross, the second one, statement of Jesus from the cross, was to the criminal. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom." he had begun at the beginning to mock. And there was something that happened in this criminal's life as he observed, I think it was probably the first thing that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think this guy took a second look at this man, how he was conducting himself with the amount of pain and torture he was under. And something clicked inside of this man where he became a believer. And as the other one continued to ridicule, use sarcasm, um, uh, the one who believed on him said, leave him alone. Uh, He's innocent. I know he's innocent. We deserve what's happening to us, but not him. And then he looked at Jesus, and he, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the points that I made on Friday was um, God saw his heart, his faith. I made mention he was never baptized, he had no good works, never said the sinner's prayer. All he said was, Lord, remember me. In Luke 23, verse 43, the Lord responded to this man. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say, the old King James is verily, verily I say to you, today, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, we know paradise is not heaven 
because Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and he told the thief on the cross, no, today, not in three days, but today you're gonna be with me in paradise. So it begs the question, where's paradise? It can't be heaven, because the Lord is, we're gonna read a little bit later uh, in John's account, Mary's gonna cling to him, and the Lord's gonna say, Mary, don't do that, he's risen, I have not yet ascended to my Father. So the question arises, where and what is paradise? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter four, and we'll pick it up in verse seven, where we read, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, now he's quoting Psalm 68, 18 here, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Verse nine, now this he ascended, what does it mean but this, that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Jonah referred to this as uh, Um, the heart of the earth. Here it's referred to as the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So we're beginning to see an order that before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and what we're told he did here is he led captivity captive. And um, we find, I think, a fuller um, explanation of this in um, the Gospel of Luke. So I'm gonna ask you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, And my Bible here tells me it's the parable, verse 19, of the rich man and Lazarus. I take exception to that because one of the rules of interpretation of scripture when it comes to the parables, it qualifies as a parable, but it's disqualified as a parable if a proper name, first name, is used in it. Such is the case where it says the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It doesn't say the rich man and the poor man. Then it would qualify as a parable. No, a personal name is being interjected here. So what I believe Jesus is saying is not an illustration or an analogy, but a real live event that happened. And so let's pick it up in verse 19. I do not see this as a parable. I see it as a teaching about the place that Jesus descended to and we have it described for us in Luke's gospel, verse 19. We are told there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. Character two, but there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell 
from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his wounds. A sorry sight indeed. Not only poor, um, breaking out with sores. So it was in verse 22 that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I don't know why this is coming to mind. It's not in my notes. I didn't think about it till right now, but sometimes the Lord does that to me in the middle of a study. Carried by the angels. I was five years old. The year was 1956. My grandpa Crandall, uh, my uncle Buck, and my cousin Denny were out bailing hay. And a storm came up, bad one, lightning. So they went underneath the hay wagon and to wait out the storm. And my grandpa Crandall had his head resting against the rear axle of that hay wagon. Well, a bolt of lightning struck that hay wagon. And what it did is it killed my grandpa Crandall instantly. It put unconscious both my cousin um, Dennis and my uncle Buck. Uh, They survived it. And I remember I was with my grandma that day. And we were riding to a place called Bateman. It's between Kadat, Wisconsin and Chippewa Falls, right on Lake Wissota. And as I was driving in the car, I'm five years old, but when you're five years old and your grandma looks up in the sky and she says, somebody just died, it really gets your attention. And I had no idea what she's talking about, but she was adamant. And um, so we finally got to where uh, my parents' house and the phone rings and mom answers the phone and she begins to sob. And grandma looked at mom and she says, it's pa, I know. And it's vivid in my mind that, and the only reason I'm bringing it up is I want to know how my grandma knew. And Somehow she looked into the sky and did the Lord allow her to see angels uh, carrying my grandpa Crandall? I don't know. But we're told here that um, when the beggar died that angels carried uh, this man to Abraham's bosom And then in reference to the rich man, it just says the rich man also died and was buried. And now, some people have this idea that when you die, you die. It's over. Um, That's it. That's all there is. But that's not the case. And it's not what the scriptures teach. Verse 23, and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in his flame. Not only is he conscious, he has some sort of spiritual body that is aware that is in torment, and he's aware that he's in flame. 
But Abraham said, son, remember that in your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and you're tormented. Let me just stop there so that there's no misunderstanding. The Bible says blessed are those, blessed are the poor because they're rich in faith. It doesn't mean that all poor people go to heaven. It says we're to warn the rich not to trust in their riches. Uh, and they can be compassed through with many sorrows. And we're to warn them not to trust in them. Well, evidently, and the point that I'm making here is just because you're poor, it doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And just because you're rich, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. I know many godly men who are wealthy. And I know many poor people that are not born again. So don't misunderstand what's being said here. Um, Verse 26, and beside all this, between us, you and I, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So in other words, we have two chambers. Where is it? In the heart of the earth. And when Jesus, before he ascended, it said he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Then realizing that there's nothing he could do, the rich man, about his situation. I can't even imagine. It's settling in that there's no way out. I'm locked in here for all eternity. Maybe for the first time in his life, he thought of somebody other than himself. But when he realized his situation, that nothing was gonna change. I know what the scriptures teach. I know that 1,000 years after the millennial kingdom, it says that death and hell will be brought before the great white throne judgment. And there he will give an account of all the things that he ever did in his life because the books are going to be opened. So the accounts of this man are all written down, but he's there this Easter Sunday, 2020, and he's been there all this time, still waiting for his day in court. But he becomes aware of his family who's still alive. Verse 27, I beg you therefore, Father, if you would send Lazarus, in this case, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they come to this place of torment. In other words, would you send Lazarus to my family members and witness to them? Warn them about hell. This is something the church is afraid to talk about today. Um, um, For fear of being considered negative or numbers or whatever. But um, here... The reality of it is so set in this rich man's mind. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and they have the prophets, let them hear them. In other words, they have the scriptures. And he says, no, I know my brothers, Father Abraham. Um, What they need to see is something spectacular. How about some signs and wonders? That ought to do it. And uh, have somebody raised from the dead. Then they'll repent. But he said, Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they uh, be persuaded though one would rise from the dead. Isn't it interesting that 
one of Jesus' last miracles was raising Lazarus from the dead. What were the result? Twofold. Many believed on Jesus. But then there was a whole other group of self-righteous religious leaders and they said we not only have to kill Jesus but now we're gonna have to kill Lazarus too. Did they become believers in Jesus Christ? No. What did they have? The law and the prophets. So as we look at the story, I don't believe it's a parable. I believe this is an actual event that Jesus was talking. What I'm saying here is I believe paradise is none other than Abraham's bosom. He descended to the lower parts of the earth where there's two chambers, one place of torment and one a place of comfort. It begs the question, what happened to all the Old Testament saints when they died? You see, Jesus hasn't died on the cross. The book of Hebrews, especially chapter 10, goes into great detail in explaining that the offerings of goats and bulls and their blood was only a temporary putting away of sin. It's not totally forgiving it, it's temporarily putting it away until the real Passover lamb would come and be offered as a sacrifice. Then and only then, Hebrews 10 says over and over and over again, Jesus died one time for your sin. And what we have is the question, so what did the Lord do with the Old Testament saints? Um, If you're taking notes, please write down Hebrews chapter 11. And it begins with all those saints who died in faith and including Abraham. I'm reading verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, plural. One of the promises that Jesus told his disciples is I go to prepare a place for you, a promise, that where I am you may be also. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They knew there was more to it than this temporary 70, 80 years we have here. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And um, when an Old Testament saint died, they simply were put in a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom, Jesus referred to it, to the thief on the cross, as paradise. Today, you're gonna be in Abraham's bosom. Today, you're going to be in paradise. Well, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, one of the strangest scriptures, I think, in the Bible. Let's go past the three days. First he descended, but after three days, Easter morning, 
he arises from the dead. He was the first fruits, we're gonna read in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. The first one ever to be resurrected from the dead with a resurrected body. Now, other people died and came back to life. Lazarus is the best case in point. But he came back with a physical body only to have to die later on again. Jesus was the first one ever to rise from the dead with a glorified body. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, he was the first fruits of those from the dead. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. Now we're going back to Good Friday. This is what happened. To be in the Holy of Holies was something only for a high priest, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. You couldn't go through the holy place into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross, the first thing that happened was this veil was torn from the top all the way to the bottom. And basically, the Lord was saying, the gate is wide open. There is now one mediator between God and man, and you have access to him. All you have to do is pray in Jesus' name and go directly through. You don't have to go through a high priest. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through any man. Every born-again believer now has direct access. And a very interesting verse, verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many of the saints, all right, it couldn't have, um, uh, we have reference here to the Old Testament saints who died in faith. It doesn't say all of them. Many of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they came out of their graves. And this is important, after his resurrection. So it's not after the villa in the temple, but now three days later, after Jesus' resurrection, there were people coming out of their graves. Don't tell me that's not weird. <laughs> and they went into this holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine a loved one that had been passed away for 20 years? All of a sudden, comes and knocks on your door and opens it up. And what, talk about a living witness. Lazarus was a living witness. They knew their relative was dead, but now he's alive. They didn't stay. They, for some reason, the Lord allowed this event to happen. Why? I believe to show that Abraham's bosom, that place of comfort, no longer exists. And one of the reasons that that the Lord went is to set the captives free. You see, they were patiently waiting for their home. And the Lord went down there according to Ephesians chapter four and he led captivity captive. Those who had died in faith. And we find, and I hold to the conviction um, that um, Abraham's bosom no longer exists. But the place of torment still does and will exist until the end of the kingdom age. Now, Today, what happens to a believer? We're, we're praying for some people in the fellowship right now that are in hospice. 
And um, dear saints, and more than likely this will probably be her last Easter, and um, I, I think of uh, what happens um, to a believer when he, when he dies. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul says we're confident. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. As crazy as this world is getting, and um, people are so lonely, especially if they're single. I was talking to Judy coming to service this morning. I heard a report yesterday watching TV of people buying puppies because <laughs> they're lonely and they just want something to hold on to. They want something they can communicate with because they're all alone. And the repercussions of um, this pandemic right now is nothing more than a wake-up call. I'm persuaded. It's nothing more than to jar you out of your routine, your daily life that the rich man got so caught up in that he never gave thought about his eternity. I believe there's people watching this morning because they're asking the question, what in the world is going on? I remember those crazy Christians were always talking to me about the last days and Israel being regathered and um, that the Lord was gonna come for his church and they really didn't give it much thought. But I bet you there's people watching this morning and they're asking the question, what in the world is going on? People who had never listened before. Maybe this Easter, they might have 2020 vision on maybe there's another reality Maybe there's more to it. Maybe I should have been listening. And I hope and pray that if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, that this, Christ, this Easter will be your first Easter. Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's instantaneous, just like that. That if one of you would, would die of a heart attack or a disease, car accident, whatever, that is an instantaneous and um, to be present with the Lord. All right, what I'd like to do now is look at the order of events of this, what we're calling Easter Sunday morning. What happened in the morning, what happened in the afternoon, and then what happened in the evening. Let's go back to John chapter 20, which is our text. And in John 20, picking it up, with just one verse, the first one. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and I want you to notice this, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Notice here, Mary comes to the tomb, and it's still dark. I'll hold that spot, because we'll be coming back to it, but go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, picking it up, Mark 16, and we'll pick it up in verse one. Now when the Sabbath was passed, we have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, 
They brought spices that they might come and anoint him. So now there's more than just Mary. There's other women there. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, notice, when the sun had risen. Now this is not contradicting what John is saying, but we have two separate events taking place. One, when Mary was there, and I'm gonna show you that she was the first one, that's clearly revealed to us in scripture. So evidently what happens is Mary is on her way back, and the sun is beginning to come up, and they go back to the tomb when the sun had risen. But John's gospel clearly said she was there while it was still dark. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door for us. And um, they had, had this concern. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, go down to verse nine, where we read in Mark's gospel, now when he arose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and then it gives us a little bit of information about Mary, of whom he had cast seven demons. So here we're told in Mark's gospel, even though there's other women mentioned here, verse nine tells us that he appeared to Mary first. So how they met each other, how they came back, more, I'm waiting for more information. But we're told clearly when Mary came, it was dark, but when she comes back with the women, the sun had risen. Verse nine tells us that he appeared to Mary first, and then a little bit of detail um, about Mary Magdalene. Now let's go back to John chapter 20 and look at verse 11, I believe verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at his feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Now she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she said unto him, Roboani, which is to mean teacher. And Jesus, she put a bear hug on him, and she wasn't going to let go. He got away once, not again. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Let me just stop here. Um, I identify with Mary Magdalene. We used to have an old email address, Magdal7 or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but I was always intrigued with her. And let me start by saying that God, the scriptures clearly teach he's not a respecter of people. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? I think I heard one. God is not a respecter of people. God is love, period. He, it's not 
proportional. He is love, and his love is consistently always the same towards people. Well then, if he's not a respecter of persons, why did he have an inner circle of three? Peter, James, and John. They got to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to be with him in Gethsemane. Um, And clearly, there was this inner circle that existed. My question is why if God is no respecter of people? How is it that some got to hang with them more than others? And why is it a woman who is the first one that gets to see the resurrected body? I think I know the answer to that. The Lord says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. It's not God's love that he has for us. That's always consistent. But there are people that have that, well, the scripture says, to whom much is forgiven, those are the ones who love much. Mary Magdalene, we read in Mark's gospel, was possessed with seven demons. That had to be terrible. Being tormented, night and day. And then she sees Jesus one day. And one by one, he casts those demons out. Do you know that she was set free? That this man had uh, set her free in such a way that she would spend the rest of her life. And her capacity, because she was forgiven much, she loved much. But it says those who are forgiven little, well, they love little. And so I believe um, the reason that Mary had this great honor, she was the first one up in the morning. She was the first one there. Why? Uh, Just her great love that she had for the Lord. Uh, He had set her free and she was gonna give her life and her devotion 100%. And that's why I believe that she had the honor of being the first person to see the resurrected Lord. All right, that happened in the morning. That's clear enough. Let's go to the afternoon and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. So we're fast-forwarding to the afternoon now, picking it up in verse 13. We call this the road to Emmaus. Verse 13 says, Now behold, this would have been what took place in the morning, now we're in the afternoon. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. We drive by it every time we drive from Tel Aviv up to Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that that Jesus himself drew near and reasoned with him. Now verse 16 is important. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. So what's going on here? Mary didn't recognize him. She thought he was a gardener. Why? I believe because the Lord restrained her eyes first. And when only when he spoke her name, oh, she knew that voice. Then she said, Roboni. Here we're clearly told that he changed his appearance so that they would not know who he was. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another? Why are you guys so sad? What's, why are you so gloomy? 
Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, we don't know the other guy's name, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that have happened these days? And the Lord playing dumb says, what things? And he said, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, notice past tense, a prophet. Oh, he was mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and he crucified him. But we were, past tense, hoping. You see, their hope was shot. They thought, we've, we've wasted our lives. We've followed Jesus, and now it's pointless, because now he's gone. But we were hoping, past tense, that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since all these things happened, and there were certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, and they astonished us. When they, they did not find his body, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, um, but him they did not see. So now the Lord chimes in. And he says, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? You know, this is the biggest stumbling stone among the Orthodox uh, Jewish people today. They cannot reconcile um, uh, a suffering savior that we read about in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, Daniel 9, so on and so forth. Um, That he would suffer and even die. Even the disciples couldn't take that in. They were jockeying for position. And so the Lord is saying, you guys don't know your Bibles very well because it teaches that he ought to suffer these things and enter into glory. And then he began to give them a Bible study. Oh, to be on the road to Emmaus. This day, as they're down and out, bummed out, and the Lord begins to teach them. We don't know, it just says in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as we, as we look at this, um, I'll, let me just stop here. There's one that I know for sure that I believe would have been given. It says beginning at Moses. I think what he probably told Cleopas and his friend was a whole story of what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter three. He said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And he explained to Cleopas and his friend, don't you remember Moses? And they were complaining and whining, and so the Lord allowed serpents to come in symbolic of sin, of course, and and Lucifer. And they bit the people, and they began to die. Well, that got the people's attention. And they went to Moses, and Moses, pray for us so that we don't die. 
And the Lord said, okay, this is, what you, this is what you do. I want you to take and make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Bronze always is, signifies judgment. And in this case, we have a picture of a serpent, bronze serpent, and it's on a pole. And the Lord told Nicodemus in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's a picture. It's a picture of sin being judged. And I think when the, when the Lord was just, just one, he's going through all the prophets, but all of a sudden, boing, <laughs> the lights went on. I mean, that's all about you? Yeah, that's all about me being lifted up on the cross and sin being judged. Now, there was two kinds of people back in Moses' day. Those who heard what Moses said, and they said, Moses said, all we have to do is go look at this serpent and we'll be healed. What do we got to lose? So they go. And there's other people that are saying, are you crazy? My doctor's not gonna believe that. Isn't it interesting that that's the sign of the medical community today? A serpent on a pole? I find that extremely interesting. And their attitude is, I'm dying here. That's crazy to look at that. How in the world is that gonna make me better? Well, those who looked were healed and those who didn't were not. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. Those who don't won't be. They'll die in their sin. So who knows, but I would have loved to sat in on this Bible study. But this is going on for seven miles in verse 28 when they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would go on farther, but they constrained him saying, why don't you have supper with us tonight? For the day is far spent. So what do we know right now? This is late afternoon. And in the afternoon, um, evidently the sun is beginning to go down. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with him, that he took bed, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, And then it says their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. I believe when it came time to bless the meal, the Lord said the the prayer, blessed art thou, O Lord, creator of the universe that brings forth bread from the earth, that he, he went like this. And in so doing, they saw the, the scars and they knew. And as soon as he knew that they knew, he just disappears. What does that tell us? One of the the qualities of a resurrected body is the ability to come and go at will. And he's just gone. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That's what happens when Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from me. We're spiritual beings. We have a soul. And what satisfies the soul is the word of God. And especially when it's being given by the Lord himself, it said they had heartburn. As he opened the scriptures to it, their spirits were getting fed. And... um, 
They rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were there gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And now it says he's appeared to Simon. That's all we're told about this one. I think Simon pretty much checked out when he denied the Lord three times. He says, I I don't believe I, I could ever have done this to my Lord. I was the one who said I will never deny you yet He did it three times. And I don't think Peter felt like he was qualified to be one of the the 12. And so there was a special one-on-one that took place between the Lord Jesus Christ and Simon Peter. It's not recorded. Some things I don't think are meant to be recorded. They're meant to be one-on-one between the individual and the Lord. But it took place. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So let's just uh, stop there. And if you're taking notes, please um, put down Hebrews 10, verse seven. It said, then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, the volume of this book is all about Jesus Christ. And he opened part of it to Cleopas and his friend on the afternoon. And now it was getting towards evening. So let's go back to John chapter 20. And let's see, we know what took place in the morning. Appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other woman. Now we knew what happened in the afternoon. He was witnessing and re-encouraging, getting Cleopas and his buddy back on track. Now it's evening, and we'll pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 20. Then the same day at evening, so there it is, morning, noon, evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, that's important, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. In other words, he would have had to have gone through the walls to do this. And he simply appears. Just like he vanished from Cleopas and his buddy, he suddenly appears and he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with him when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the prints of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is the evening where he appears to the disciples, the first time. The second time is now eight days later Or once again, we read in verse 26, 
Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, but this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors were shut and stood in the midst, and he said, peace to you. But he especially is interested in Thomas. And he looked around at the guys, and he sees Thomas and says, Thomas, come on over here. I want you to reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hands here and put it into my side. He heard every word that Thomas was said. He was there when Thomas was there, but they couldn't see him because he chose not to be seen. But he heard every word that Thomas said. He said, do not be unbelieving, Thomas, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now this verse is for you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is the second time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. If you turn the page to chapter 21, we're in Galilee. It is now some time later. And there are seven of them. They're mentioned in verse 2. The seven that were there, where are the other four? I don't know, doesn't say. But he appears to them, and now down in verse 14 it says, now this was the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time was in the evening, that Sunday evening. The second time, eight days later. The third time, verse 14, is sometime later, up on the sea of Galilee that he appeared to them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 15. We call this the uh, chapter on the resurrection. And the whole chapter is about the resurrection and a resu- another resurrection that's about to take place. In 1 Corinthians 14, one of the great things about Easter is being able to present the gospel concisely, precisely, so that people can understand what they need to do in order to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We have it in the first four verses called the facts of Christ's resurrection. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. A lot of theology in that one verse, very controversial. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Um, My question is, where in the scriptures does it say that he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures? Well, there was no New Testament at this time. He's gotta be referring to something in the Old Testament So before I go any farther, let's go to um, Psalm chapter 16. 
Psalm chapter 16. Oh, there's so many, this is so rich. Let's pick it up in verse eight. Psalm 16, verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also rests in hope. For you will not, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which is another place for that place in the middle of the earth. You won't leave a soul there. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a prophecy. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where do the scriptures, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, say that he rose from the dead? Well, one of the places is Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not leave my soul there to see corruption. My friends, this is a simple gospel of Jesus Christ. The order, pick it up at verse, let's go down to verse 12. Because in Corinth, there were those that did not believe in the resurrection. They probably were uh, saved Sadducees who did not believe in angels or the resurrection. Maybe they were holding on to some old traditions, who, who knows. But verse 12 says, Now as Christ preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. What we're doing this morning is useless, it's in vain. And your faith, those of you who are watching that are Christians, your faith is in vain also if there is no resurrection. Yes, and actually we're found to be false witnesses of God. In other words, I've been wasting my life for the last 48 years if there is no resurrection. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did if he did not raise him up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. To me, that's a terrifying thought if there's no resurrection. Then all those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are men most pitiable. If in this life only we have hope. Well, this is the strangest surreal Easter in my lifetime. We live in a world with no hope. Um, it's completely turned upside down. People are losing their jobs. They don't know what to do next. They're hopeless. Um, some of them just, just do not have this hope. And Paul says here, if that's the case, then we are men most pitiable because we're doing all this because we do believe in the resurrection. But, what a great but we have here, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become, here it is, the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his order. Christ's the first fruits. Now catch this, because I'm gonna give you a cross reference here. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. At what coming? Well, I have a New King James Nelson Bible, and I have one cross reference. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15 through 17. These are rapture verses. Some will say, well, the first time the rapture's ever really talked about is in the last part of this chapter in verse 51. No, it's not. Here's the order. Each one in his order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And we have here reference, I believe, to his coming, meaning the rapture of the church. As we close this up this morning, I want to talk about the rapture of the church. I want to do it for a couple different reasons. But let's go to verse 51. The whole chapter is about the resurrection, what kind of bodies we're going to have now, what kind of bodies we're going to have later. And basically, Everybody's going to die. But then he says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. The the Greek word there is metamorphosis. It's what happens to those caterpillars in the springtime that spin their cocoon. And as a result, after millions and millions and millions of years... (laughs) No, we're talking about two weeks. They go from a furry little caterpillar to this beautiful monarch butterfly that's characteristics are completely different from that what it was simply two weeks earlier. And it uh, goes through this metamorphosis. So we're not all gonna die, but we're gonna be changed just like that. We're gonna have our new body. When? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump will sound and a dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. My friends, if you think that this pandemic that has changed our world is earth-shattering, it is absolutely nothing compared to what's going to take place when the Lord calls the church home and millions and millions of people suddenly vanish. If you, think that's, if you think this has turned the world upside down, they're talking now, well, we think we see the light at the end of the tunnel. You'll be able to eventually go back to your home and so on and so forth. That's one thing. When the rapture of the church takes place, um, Marilyn Ferguson in her Aquarian conspiracy has been trying to explain, she's a new ager, has been trying to explain away the rapture for 50, 60, 70 years. The new agers are prepared for this event. There has to be some sort of cataclysmic event that gets rid of all these people that are so narrow-minded, they're saying there's only one way to God. They gotta go. And I think we've been preconditioned through Hollywood and, and everything that goes with it with being trans, 
reported from place to place, so on and so forth, that there's going to come a lie that's going to explain the rapture of the church. And believe me, the world will be so, if you think we're headed towards a one world government now because of this, wait till the rapture. They will gravitate towards any man who has answers for them. And that is going to be the most dramatic event. There has to be a rapture because God owes Israel seven more years. That's what the tribulation is all about, beginning with chapter six in the book of Revelation until he comes again. Um, This time not on a little donkey, but on a white stallion, king of kings and lord of lords, and he will establish his kingdom at this time. But the world has to go through the seven-year period of time because Daniel clearly says this is the wrath. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the indignation. It's not the judgment on the church because our judgment was placed on Jesus on the cross. There's another good place for an amen. Amen. And so the necessity of the rapture, it's taught here, it's taught in 1 Thessalonians, and um, um, that is the hope that we have. It doesn't mean that we don't go go through trials and tribulations now. I think the world is focusing in and um, on the church, and I've never seen, in America anyway, um, uh, political figures, um, and the persecution that is arising against born-again believers. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, then this mortal has been put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And instead of fearing death, Paul says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hedy, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. In a world that's discouraged right now, even Christians, because of uh, this pandemic that's taking place, um, I'm gonna leave you with this verse that I hope it encourages you this Easter 2020. I hope you're seeing God's plan a little bit more clearly, that he's sovereign. There's nothing that he doesn't allow to happen unless it goes through his sovereign will. But he says, therefore, my beloved brother, now I'm speaking to you, church, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The rich man found out that all his riches meant absolutely nothing. They were completely in vain. But for those of you that are trying to stay the course, and occupy till he comes and are praying for discernment and perseverance, these words are for you. You're the beloved, be immovable, be steadfast, and just keep on 
doing what you've always been doing. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, as we gather together under strange circumstances, once again, we thank you that we can study your word um, via the access of the internet. So we're grateful for that. Lord, once again, remember what the gospel is all about, that you died on a cross, that the sins of the world were placed upon you, and you proved you are who you said you are by raising from the dead three days later. I pray for any of those that are feeling like Cleopas and his friend because of the difficulty of the times we're living in, that you would give them heartburn. And as we get into your word this morning, they would see that this is all part of your plan. We shouldn't be surprised by any of it. And you've simply asked us to endure, be steadfast, until you come again and take us. And you told us to be into such a frame of mind that we'll be ready to respond. Lord, we want to be those five wise virgins who kept their lanterns trimmed and they were watching and they were waiting and they were waiting for that cry, the bridegroom cometh. And when you came, you were ready, they were ready to go. Let that maybe be the case, Lord, for the church, especially for Calvary Chapel, Appleton, those that are listening this morning. Be with them, Lord, as they gather with family and friends today. And um, we're just so grateful, Lord, for the cross. And we're so grateful for the resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anyway, um, uh, political figures um, and the persecution that is arising against born again believers. Verse 53 for this. Corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, then this mortal has been put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And instead of fearing death, Paul says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hedy, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. In a world that's discouraged right now, even Christians, because of uh, this pandemic that's taking place, um, I'm gonna leave you with this verse that I hope it encourages you this Easter 2020. I hope you're seeing God's plan a little bit more clearly that he's sovereign, there's nothing that he doesn't allow to happen unless it goes through his sovereign will. But he says, therefore, my beloved brother, now I'm speaking to you, church, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The rich man found out that all his riches meant absolutely nothing. They were completely in vain. But for those of you that are trying to stay the course and occupy till he comes and are praying for discernment and perseverance, these words are for you. 
You're the beloved. Be immovable. Be steadfast. And just keep on doing what you've always been doing. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, as we gather together under strange circumstances, once again, we thank you that we can study your word um, via the access of the internet. So we're grateful for that. Lord, once again, remember what the gospel is all about, that you died on a cross, that the sins of the world were placed upon you, and you proved you are who you said you are by raising from the dead three days later. I pray for any of those that are feeling like Cleopas and his friend because of the difficulty of the times we're living in, that you would give them heartburn. And as we get into your word this morning, they would see that this is all part of your plan. We shouldn't be surprised by any of it. And you've simply asked us to endure, be steadfast, until you come again and take us. And you told us to be into such a frame of mind that we'll be ready to respond. Lord, we want to be those five wise virgins who kept their lanterns trimmed and they were watching and they were waiting and they were waiting for that cry, the bridegroom cometh. And when you came, you were ready, they were ready to go. Let that maybe be the case, Lord, for the church, especially for Calvary Chapel, Appleton, those that are listening this morning. Be with them, Lord, as they gather with family and friends today. And um, we're just so grateful, Lord, for the cross. And we're so grateful for the resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.